Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. This is the Zookeeper podcast where we take you behind the scenes talking to professionals in the industry about their stories, words of wisdom and journey so far to get to where they are today, really showing you what it takes to be a zookeeper. All views throughout the podcast shared are of those speaking alone and in no way reflect the collections they work for. So please come along for the journey, enjoy the ride and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. My name's James Dennis, I'm your presenter, and today we're talking all things leaders within the industry, and I'm very happy to introduce Joseph Kant. Welcome, Joe, to the show. Hi there, thank you for having me on the show, I really appreciate it. Yeah, really excited to have you on. Now, if you want to introduce to all our lovely listeners exactly who you are, where you come from, and what title you hold. Yeah, so hi there, guys. So, yeah, as James said, the name's Joe, and I'm actually the director of a very small zoo called Cedars Nature Centre. I became director back in November 11th, 2021, with a good friend of mine, Stuart Shaw. And um, we actually, you know, the zoo was already kind of in place. We rebranded the, the the business and the company and we've kind of started all from scratch again. And yeah, we're two years pretty much in and going strong. Yeah, cracking. Now, obviously, this whole podcast episode is about leaders within the industry, about leading by example. And to get into those positions, you don't generally roll into them. You gain that experience along the way. And you make your own luck and everyone's got those journey moments, those milestones and those stories to be told. Joe, do, do you have them? Do you have those real milestones throughout your career to get to where you are today? I find it always strange always trying to explain my story to people because I, I actually did it when we was at Abwak. I had a, you know, you get to meet people and network. And um, when I kind of tell people my story, they kind of just look at me like I'm I'm either lying or am I old, as old as I am? So obviously I studied animal management at college, um, your kind of basic bread and butter qualifications. My kind of zoo experience started at Paradise Wildlife Park as a volunteer. I think I was a volunteer there for about two and a half years. And this was a long time ago, a long, long time ago, where as a volunteer, I actually had the pleasure of working with big cats a lot of the time. I got on very well with the two keepers. At, uh, I probably wasn't probably well liked as much because I was a lot of jealousy because I was working around the cats. Got to go to the big cat sanctuary when it kind of first started up. I had the privilege of actually helping them move a Siberian tiger to a big cat sanctuary, which really stood out at, you know, as a 17, 18 year old boy, that's a kind of a big, big deal. And I really wanted to get into zookeeping. It was really, I, I found a real passion for it. I really enjoyed it. But unfortunately around that time, 2007, 2008, recession hit the country, not a lot of jobs kind of going. So my kind of aspect was I still wanted to work with animals, but I actually went into the army. Um, I became a dog handler. I was a dog handler and trainer in the army for four and a half years. So it's kind of really come away from zoos. But as a, as a personal thing for me, it was a lot of structure and growth. The army, I know a lot of people have their views on it, but for me, it really taught me a lot about growing up and, you know, dealing with stressful situations, how to manage stressful situations. And that kind of comes on to, I think, later on in, in our kind of discussion. I left the army. I bounced from job to job. I worked for rescue centers. I actually worked at uh, Pets at Home for as a, as a supervisor for a bit. Again, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Bit of a weird kind of career path. Then I got back into teaching. I, I went into teaching, should I say, and I did it for seven years. And I taught animal management, I taught animal behavior, zoo, exotic management. And during that time, we went four times, went to South Africa. Uh, we took students out there on conservation trips, which is really a highlight. And to be fair, the, probably the big push that I needed in 2019, it was just before COVID, 
was I we was at a rhino sanctuary, Kerferard Rhino Sanctuary, and they were doing a display of their dogs, the anti-poaching dogs that they have. And I got talking to them and said, Oh, some of the stuff you're doing is a bit bit really outdated, you know, from what I used to know in the army. Fortunately, I was somewhat on a sabbatical coming up for for a few months and I said, Well, would you mind if I come out here if you could give me housing, you know, and 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 food? And it's like, well, yeah, if you can pay for your flight. So I actually went back out there a few weeks later by myself worked and trained their anti-poaching dogs and what that did for me was really reignite the kind of my understanding and, and my kind of passion around conservation and and work with animals you know when you're when you're kind of working with search dogs and that's a bit different but you're actually walking through a crash of rhinos you've got you've got wildebeest one side you've got giraffe walking past you the other and you're out in the bush you're literally out in the bush it really kind of makes you think wow you know there's so much even in this space here that needs to be preserved and looked after. So when I kind of came back from Africa, I, I carried on teaching, COVID hit. So unfortunately the kind of plans to go back out kind of fell away. So I actually went self-employed, I'm a self-employed dog trainer, but it also, as I said, good friend Stuart Short, we we had in mind that we wanted to start up a kind of educational aspect um, with animals. We wasn't sure what, it was actually gonna be like a mini beast thing. But then the zoo popped up. It just kind of happened. And it literally happened about two, three months after I went self-employed. And yeah, the, the rest is kind of history. I think the aspect that I kind of come in with with the zoo, Stu has a lot more animal knowledge than me. He's he's very he's very good on, on knowing certain things. But what I bring in is a lot of understanding of animal health and and kind of managing under stress. How can we get stuff done in, a, in an efficient way? And it's not saying Stu doesn't, because he does. But for me, I've obviously worked within certain companies, certain businesses where you have to have stuff structured. And it was very much me coming in and, and kind of sorting the team out and putting them where they're best at. Because I've managed teams as a teacher uh, when I was in the army. And that's how that kind of, I guess, my journey kind of fits into where I am now in a long winded way <laughs> exactly that and i guess looking back at that whole journey and those stories that you've been able to make throughout your career do you have any advice for your younger self or maybe someone listening into this podcast episode from your journeys and the stories you've made and maybe any gems you've picked up along the way it's always stressful it's always going to be stressful um i think there was a point in time when i just came out of the army that i really kind of reflected on it myself because you know it's a bit difficult when you come from being very um you know in such an environment to come back into into the civilian world but learn from everything learn from all your mistakes we're going to make mistakes and and it happens just learn from them. i always used to tell students there's no such thing necessarily as a bad experience because you will learn from it i've gone to a couple of jobs that i didn't like i didn't like uh the way that things were carried out and i always remember a, a particular manager saying to me oh well you know it didn't work out shame that you or, or etc and i was like well you know it didn't work out but i learned that i know that this process isn't something that I will go towards in the future because I, I didn't agree with it. And that's a learning aspect. So I, if I was to say to myself, it's just that what comes your way, learn from it. it it's gonna, it, mistakes happen, own up to them and just and just kind of move forward. Yeah, very, very well put. And I guess looking back at your, your career so far, is there any main trait or attribute that you contribute towards your success and towards the person you are today just kind of go with it uh i always there's it there's uh, now i'm going to be a bit nerdy here and actually you might see on the video behind me i have a was uh, tolkien the, uh who wrote the lord of the rings books there's a saying that not all those who wonder are lost now i really stick by that because 
you know, I wouldn't have gone to Africa by myself if I didn't start asking, oh, you know, I think the way your dog team's working could be better. I wouldn't have gone into the army if the recession didn't happen and take that leap to kind of leave home and do it without, you know, you just have to do things. You have to step outside your comfort zone. So I, I just believe that you just got to kind of just go for it. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it is what it is. I could not have put that any better myself. Now, Obviously, we all know that the higher up in the hierarchy you go, the less animal stuff you get and the more man management and, and team management you have to do. With regards to the whole industry as a whole, you know, within that role, you've got to care for the animals, you've got to care for the staff, you've got to make sure that the business is running okay. It's a whole heap of things. How do you embrace that and stay on the straight and the narrow, turning it all into a success and a forward-thinking attitude? You need to just be able to coordinate your team really well. I think it's been understanding of um, people's strengths and what needs to be a priority is prioritizing now i know that when we me and Stu kind of took on the zoo it was like oh you know we've got this enclosure here let's start doing that and start doing that but what it is is like whoa let's reel it in because it's all good saying this and that but money's a factor we need to balance balance the money out we need to make sure that we cover animals food wages and so forth and then build upon smaller projects to then get the bigger projects in and then you know you know you're, you're kind of visitor numbers and so forth so it's about prioritizing i think prioritizing is a big aspect in in any business and anything that you run you know we we have a soon inspection coming up so we know that everything kind of necessary that we would want to do we just kind of put to the side on the back burner for now and we focus on getting everything paperwork ready making sure the staff are aware of what their kind of goals are ensuring that things are in place for that time so yeah i think in terms of success and kind of going forward into as a business sense you just have to make sure you have your priorities in place what needs to be done i very much have everything in my head i don't always write stuff down i know Stu prefers to write i prefer to have stuff in my head but i kind of have it like a switch like right this is what needs to happen let's get this done then it's out of the way you don't have to worry about it then move on to the next move on to the next it's easy to run away and get carried away but you always have to just stop look at everything from the outside in is probably the best bit. Yeah, totally. And you touched on it right there is, you know, mistakes can be made and at times people can get a bit bogged down with them. How have you learned to embrace those mistakes, those errors which come along the way naturally and turn them into a, a positive and a, a real learning curve for yourself? I think firstly, integrity. I think just having, because a lot of people shy away from mistakes. If they make a mistake within a job or within an industry, they, they shy away and then it's like, who did this? What's happened? I think just have the integrity to be like, you know what, I, I messed up. I didn't quite understand it. Could you explain it to me? I know I've got quite a little story, a short story where when I was doing my licensing for um, what's called arms explosive search, so it'd be searching for explosives and stuff with my dog. I was, I was on training at the time on my course and the, the corporal who I had was very kind of show offy and he'd like to kind of throw his weight around and, and show off. And he never really explained stuff clearly for how I would, I could understand it. So I was just getting everything wrong. I was getting kind of wound up with myself. And then he just made it worse by saying, oh, and, and showing up because people walking past, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. In the end, I just snapped. I just turned and said, well, if you just stopped and explained what I'm actually doing wrong rather than pointing out that I'm doing it wrong, then maybe I wouldn't be going to such in the wrong place. And it was kind of there where you kind of think, just take a step back and, and just and look at everything. And I think that's what the army kind of helped me with in general with, with you know, running a business. You just have to take a step back sometimes because it's going to get overwhelming um, and you just have to just stop, breathe. What's the process? You know, I'm self-employed as a dog trainer as well. The crisis of living at the moment, the cost of living crisis that we have, 
I know that when the bills went up for, for energy bills, I knew that my income for that month would likely drop because people are not going to want to pay up for dog training. They're going to focus on their family. So therefore you pencil that in advance, you prepare that. So you always have a backup in mind and what if that's the reason. So the biggest thing I've learned is just take a step back and just watch from the outside sometimes. For sure. Some really, really great words. Now, the the team is the core behind any good wildlife park, safari park, zoo, anywhere across the globe. It's the heart and the soul behind any success that they have. Now, with yourself, with your team and, and what you've done so far within management, what do you look for when building a team? What are you looking for from a keeper and what kind of key traits are there within a keeper for you i look for experience is a big one i, I don't have a degree or anything like that and I, I have no issue with anyone that has a degree i think if you've got a degree you need to back it up with experience you know when i was a lecturer a lot of people i worked with had degrees and went straight from a degree into teaching okay that's fine but when you're then teaching the subject i think you you engage with students so much better by having a story to back it up with or getting a, that kind of point of view so i always think experience will always benefit and, and be better so if you've got some more experience than someone that's got a who's just finished a degree i'm always going to probably likely take on that person because you know it, and and within the industry especially the zoo industry volunteering from work you know do work experience going to volunteering yeah you may lose a weekend day who cares it's going to benefit you in the long run let's let's face facts it's going to benefit you in the long run what i look for though with within my team is looking at everybody's abilities i want to take on a team that has each person has a different strength. What we then do is utilize those with different strengths to match up to those that have certain weaknesses so they can level each other out, balance each other out. Because if you've got everyone that's good at reptiles, but nobody's good with birds or, or mammals, then it's kind of like, well, one, you know, those two sections are going to kind of drop in standards pretty quickly. So it's making sure having everyone has a well-roundedness. And if some people have weaknesses, is ensuring that they do CPD, you know, the personal development, provide them with courses. I think that's a real, real importance is making sure that people understand. Don't get me wrong. I, I may moan at my staff every now and then. Uh, I think steward as well. And it's purely not because we think they're doing a bad job. It's just like, tell us if you're unsure or something. I would rather someone come up to me like, you know what? I tried this. It didn't work. Okay, that's fine. I'd rather have somebody try something off their own back. It didn't work. Come and tell me, okay, well, what did you try? Why didn't it work? How can we make it work? Rather than try something, not say it. And it's just kind of messed up over in the corner somewhere. Um, so I think with, with a team, it's about making sure everyone has different strengths, building on their weaknesses and why they're weak. Experience is 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 really important. Confidence. I think, you know, we've, we've just taken on a casual keeper. I actually taught the person a few years back and she was very nervous. So we kind of said, but she was a very, very good volunteer. And we have a casual role come up and we said, you know, we'd like to take you on, but we know that you're very shy with talks. So what we'd like to do before we actually do. So we gave her the incentive that we'd like to employ her was like, would you like to start doing the talks with our head keeper or with one of the keepers in that day? Here's the scripts if you want to. Okay. I said, you don't have to follow the scripts. You can do your own research and come out with some facts that may not be in the script. That's fine. I, I'm not bothered about scripts as long as you've got something there. And you know what? Bit by bit, that's what she was doing over the last few months. She'd stand in there with the with one of the keepers. They would share the kind of talk. And now we've taken on as a casual keeper. And, it, you know, her process there is that she will just grow. And we know that we may not be the place that she'll stay at. 
we're just a stepping stone potentially for her but we've got her to a point where she can then move on and I think that's another thing it's about empowering your team about giving them the reins to kind of okay this is what we'd like do it your way if it doesn't work we'll have a chat about it but make it your own and empowering staff I think is really really important yeah I couldn't have put it better myself I think you've touched on the next question already as well and that is what is more valuable is it three years of experience in the field learning your trade or three years in the form of a degree or some form of education what one's more more relevant you know that's a constant question asked within the industry I'm sure listeners listening to in will be asking this and this is people in the industry already let alone people trying to come in for you Joe what what one is it what way would you advise yeah I you know I think volunteering is so valuable in our industry in the animal industry as a whole volunteering is always going to be your biggest asset um okay you, you may have to lose money you may have to like drop a day or have you know you may want to go out on a weekend but you can't because you're volunteering volunteer do it get into the industry get your foot in the industry work hard you know like I said we took on a casual keeper one of our actual keepers um, was a volunteer with us and he stayed after the hours that he didn't have to to help us paint before our first suit licensing he stayed with us he helped us do stuff he didn't have to do that he was a volunteer and that stood out for us he had the he had experience not a lot but he had dedication as well there's nothing wrong with having a degree either like I said you know it, it does bode well it, it will kind of I guess for a lot bigger zoos it will kind of put you higher up on the ladder in some sense but I think you need to have experience behind you whether that's volunteering or paid and obviously a good reference uh, as well because you do get unfortunately the odd person you may hire that may not match that kind of caliber that you need but I think um, get yourself in the industry if you want to change jobs go and volunteer understand it I know from you know from the dog industry I've gone to you spoke you know spoken to people and so forth and some people in management roles in certain places have literally just come from Marks and Spencers and they switched into a management role of a dog rescue center Okay, but it's a whole different aspect. You know, there's a whole, you know, that doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. So I think you need to have an understanding. And I think, like I said, I'm a bit of a, I guess, a wild child in the sense that I've done a bit of this and a bit of that. But all of those I can accumulate together to be able to build upon the zoo, which I'm doing now. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess to kind of pull all of this building of a team together, for anyone listening, you know, trying to get into the industry, trying to progress throughout this industry, it's hard enough getting this the actual interview, let alone the job itself. So to get that foot in the door, obviously you want to make your CV as golden as possible. Is there anything extra someone could put on there to make them shine a little brighter for you, Joe? And what I mean by that is an extra little skill or a talent, you know, whether it be first aid through to rifle skills, you name it. What what helps them help you? Presenting, being able to talk to people. I know we don't, I know a lot of people work with animals because they want to keep away from people. But the way, and I know it's going to touch on something later, the way the industry's done is that is education. And I think being able, even if, if even if you don't like people, being able to explain your passion and why it's passionate um, and why we may do certain things or why conservation is important and being able to express that to someone is really, really key. So a big thing we have on our interviews, and I think a lot of people do now, is we have a presentation at the end. You know, we want you to do a, a five-minute presentation on our on on meerkats, for instance. We want to see what you throw at us and and how you present. Doesn't matter if it seems silly or how how you do it. Doesn't matter. It's your confidence. It's how you are. If we think we can work on it, or if it's great, excellent. Um, it's also understanding legislation. I think is a real big one. 
a lot of people think they're going into working with the industry and it's just working with animals and it's fine. And a lot of people, I guess, more student-wise think that, but legislation's changing drastically. It's changing all the time. And obviously the views of zoos are, are hit and miss with certain people. And I think understanding legislation is really important. I, you know, like I said, I understand legislation for zoos. I also understand it for my self-employment role where I've had to throw it out there sometimes where I may have an issue with a, a, a person coming towards myself and the, my client and their dogs off lead and being aggressive. And I have to throw out there something to do with a dog controller or something like that. And they're like, oh, what? And it's like, well, if you go and you cancel. So understanding legislation is really key. It will stand out, especially if you're category one, category two animals. Um, but I think having confidence in presentation skills is really important. And I think that will let a lot of people down. Um, even if your primary role isn't to talk to public, you're, someone somewhere a member of the public is going to pull you at one point and be like oh can you explain this to me can you explain why it's like that and then if you can't do it 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 kind of i guess taints a little bit of of um it place you work and just like that that leads us to the big questions now this part joe is some of the hard-hitting questions where we're going to try and dive in and answer some of the questions which just simply aren't usually answered and i'm going to take you to start with all the way across the pond. We're going over to America, over to the USA, and to a demographic survey they've done of their keepers, and more importantly, the checkout age, the time they're leaving the industry. Now, it seems to roughly be around the early 30s. Now, something which is roughly replicated here in the UK, and we could put that down to a whole bundle of things through to a change in life, simply through to living cost, through to not being registered as a, a trade and more labour, and that contributing to a whole bundle of things. So, the question I've got for you, Joe, is with all of that taken into account, is there anything more do you think we can be doing or anything you feel we could we could help with this matter? I'm not one myself to kind of shy away from challenging something. So, for instance, where our zoo is, we we obviously own the zoo, but the land is, is council property. Now, it has to be maintained by council standards and so forth. Like anything, it takes time if something needs to be done. But if we were to close that zoo or say we're closing that zoo, I guarantee it's gonna, you know, something's gonna happen because that's a that's a tourism. That's a that's a you know, we're within a park. So a lot of people that come into that park and bring money to the the canteen and so forth are coming to visit the zoo. Now I think it's about pulling on the government and pulling on your local councils. I think getting them in, having open days for them. I think you know, you kind of having to, yeah, you know, this is what we're doing for you, have a look around, showing the statements of running costs. To the government that's what a lot of other companies kind of do you know what is the positive impact zoos have on the local community the wider community and the environment and not just you know domestically but globally if they're if they're a very big zoo and i think that's what needs to be put out there a lot more i know it is and i know it's getting there with social media but i think it's something that is kind of a bit of a blind eye to to governments and local councils and i think if you did remove zoos you're removing tourism you're removing a huge economic asset there and i think that's what they tend to forget and not only that a lot of zoos now with especially how legislation is going it's all about you know breeding conservation rewilding and i think you know we we play a huge role in that with that small animals to, to large animals it needs to be put out there a lot more to to those that need to stand up and kind of notice it that we are we provide something more than just hugging a bunny kind of thing you know we're, we're doing a lot here because we're trying to preserve species we're trying to educate is the biggest thing i remember i was in south africa and um, the gentleman who helped me sort all that out he 
you know, he said it most important. Education is, the, is probably the biggest thing, especially in South Africa, to make people understand, you know, rhinos. The impact rhino have on on the ecosystem is is crazy. And you have to educate the local community and 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 how you prevent anti-poaching by educating. And I think that's the same over here. You need to just educate about why zoos are important and what they do environmentally, sustain, sustainably and domestically and globally. And I think tapping into your government is and local council is really the biggest thing it's always going to be a, a, a headache for for management it is for us it is all the time but you have to kind of keep nagging to get to get to where you want to get noticed that's question one out of the way on to question two now question two takes us to the newest part of this industry here in the uk and that is the changing of the secretary of state guidelines over a hundred page document full to the brim of change coming to our zoos, wildlife parks and safari parks from conservation to welfare to education to you name it, it is attacking all angles. Now, I want you to focus on the conservation aspects for the moment, Joe. And what I want to ask is, with unlimited funds, how would you contribute towards achieving what they're asking, which is obviously to show what true conservation is being done and, and to contribute personally as a collection? Um, and more importantly, what are you already doing? Because I think that's the biggest part of this question is actually, I think behind the door, there is a lot more going on than we think. Yeah. So for us, we're a very, very small zoo. So I think the big aspect for us, you know, we're in a park is sustainability. You've got local bird populations. We've got bats. We have, you know, harvest mice. We have uh, beetles, you know, bees, bees, you know, that's, that's a huge aspect. So actually, to be fair, we, um, we're pushing to get like myself and a couple of keepers on the beekeepers course because there's a, a volunteer group in the park that have beehives. And what that means is, is that we can have our staff go over, help maintain the beehives. It helps build the bee population, pollination, not only that, they can do talks in the summer at, at the zoo. That's just part of the local community, you know, awareness about what's why bees so important. We have spoken to us as a sustainability officer from the council about how we'd like to utilize the park a lot more. We originally had a harvest mice kind of idea or studied. They weren't overly keen on that because of the there comes a lot of paperwork with it. But there's nothing where we couldn't actually get schools in and help us build hedgehog houses, bat boxes, bird boxes. Again, it does mean funds, even though we're a small zoo and may not be a lot to build a bird box and so forth, we still have to buy the materials to do it and you know the risk assessments and all that. But you know, for us. It's about trying to educate the local community on the importance of the environment that they live in. You know, we're right on the M25, um, you know, border. It's a very busy aspect. We're just kind of situated in a quiet area. So for us, and I think, you know, any any place is utilise what's around you. Um, when I worked at the college, it had massive grounds. Let's utilise the, the grounds to do invert surveys or pond dipping. Why not? You know, you can get your statistics and and stuff from that. So I think making it, making what's around you to good use. And I think if you can bring in education with that and and, and certain like scouts or, or brownies and small school groups, I think that will kind of make the government stand up a bit more and see, because if they wanted to remove you or say you're not doing enough, well, actually, we um, we actually had a scout group here helping us build these, these bat boxes. And now what we're doing is we'll do free surveys a year to kind of pop see number populations and so forth so i think little things like that utilize what what's there rather than going too big 
and think, oh, you know what, we're a small zoo, let's pair up with this zoo and help them do this rewilding release project. That's that's not going to really be viable for us. So let's do something that works within our realm. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think it's very easy to presume the word conservation is straight away linked to conservation abroad. When actually, I think you're exactly right. Conservation is literally there in front of us and it's on our doorstep. So, of course, this may encourage more of that. It's right there. Yeah, massively. No, exactly. And I think that's that's the thing. The issue within education, I guess, is where they, um, oh, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to work for the RSPC. I want to work as a vet nurse. I want to be a zookeeper. Okay. But do you know that it expand? You know, there's so many other small niches within that. Okay. Within zookeeping or we're working within a zoo, you're not, you can be more than just a zookeeper. You know, you can be an education presenter. You can do this. You can do that. You can go, uh, you know, it is, there's so many um, aspects to kind of branch out on. And I think that's something that's missed at the moment. And I think it's about, again, putting it out there. Yeah, exactly. Now we're on that last one, the final question of these big questions for you. And that is collection planning. It's something everyone wants to be part of, from putting their animal, their favourite animal, into the hat, through to simply just understanding the full picture and the future exciting plans of their collection. So the question I've got for you is, with your collection plan, how is it unique within the industry at your end and would you change anything looking back? Obviously, I came into the collection as it was kind of already formed. Um, one thing that does stand out, and I think I found, especially when Abbott, when I mentioned, oh, yeah, I'm with Stuart Cedars, is that, oh, you guys got the Zurillas. Obviously, we have the only pair of Zurillas in the world, which is pretty amazing. I think there's two other collections in the UK among ourselves. They have a, a, one as a male, one as a female. We only have a pair, and there's one other in South Africa. So... That stands out. And to be fair, we will get people in the spring and summer just randomly rock up with a camcorder and just sit on the bench by the Zurillas. And normally around half, three, four in summertime, they'll come out. But if they're there waiting, we'll get a keeper to go and with a, a bowl of blood. It's always nice. But the Zurillas will come out and then they'll film and we'll get talking to them. And I think that's what really stands out for our collection. Going forward, I think we'd like to look at more mustelid species. You know, again, we talk about conservation. There's mink. Conservation is a huge thing. That's something that we can accommodate. We're a small enough suit to accommodate those kind of things. If I could restart again, I think I'd probably look at small carnivores uh, as well. Inverts, I really like inverts. And again, I think there's such a an aspect of where people get creeped out and, and freaked out by it. And if again, education is the key, is, is doing talks and explain to people that it's actually an invert is not as bad as, as what you think it is. Um, but I think the collection we have is good. I don't think it's bad. I think it, it maintains what the zoo needs. We have got plans to kind of grow that and it, it comes with time as, as does anything. But I think we're, we're small enough to kind of really benefit the small animals. And I think that's what's really, really important is that we can really target small species conservation and breeding programs. You know, we have black beauty stick insects. They're actually critically endangered, but we seem to breed them like wildfire. They, they, we constantly breed them. When we speak to other people that we've passed them on to, they said, oh no, we need some more. I'm like, okay, have some more. Assassin's bugs, we, we have so, we, you know, we our assassin's bugs breed like anything. So we do really well with inverts for breeding for some reason. But again, that's where we're kind of, useful in being such a small zoo we don't have to worry about the big aspects of conservation we can worry about the small and contain it and keep it contained and i think that's what's really important if you can manage that because if it's too big a project it's just going to run away with you so no there is some animals that i would like to see us 
bring in, which we probably can't because we can't really necessarily bring in certain small carnivores. We can't always do that, but we have got our zoos, which are which are amazing. You know, we have our skunks, which are which are great. You know, it's a unique. Uh, that's on you know our, our branding is a skunk, and the reason we picked that was because you look at other zoos, they have one of the you know one of the big five on them or or a big animal. When you see a skunk, you're like, what? Why have we got a skunk? And it's like, well, we're a small animal. It's our, it's our flagship species at the zoo. It's, it's something different. And people are like, oh, but don't they stink? Don't they smell? And we do talks every 45 minutes. One of them is a meet and greet the skunks. You know, then a kid and a, and a parents get to see the skunk, stroke the skunk maybe. And like, oh, wow, we didn't know that. And it, again, you've just already tapped into people by them thinking of a stereotype. Oh, it stinks. It's going to spray. When no, it doesn't. It's actually quite a nice species to, to have yeah i think it's exactly that and i think like you're touching on just because a collection calls itself a small collection doesn't mean that the conservation worth isn't huge and it isn't much bigger than the name suggests so i think conservation's key education's key and it can be done by all sizes of zoos across the country um and i can speak on behalf of yourselves the work with your zorilla goes tenfold and obviously that transcends way above anything else i actually heard about the zorilla before i heard about cedars yeah and it's crazy it's absolutely crazy because when people say cedars they're like cedars and like zorilla they're like oh and then everyone and then they instantly know and they're like oh we really want to come down and see the zorilla and so forth which is which again is amazing and if we can kind of tap into more interesting small species like that i think that will really benefit us as a, as a small zoo going forward because again we we have the capacity to take on small interesting species and and grow them in within our zoo well there we go that is the big questions all done and we're on that final stretch we're on to the quick fire round an area which can fly by or erupt into conversation so let's see how we get on joe and give it a go now, number one for you is what is your favourite animal? Okay, I'm going to be very boring. I'll throw two out there. One has got to be a dog. I've worked with dogs my whole life. If you understand the behaviour psychology and, and the ability of what they can actually do, you know, I used to search for explosives with dogs. Understanding their sense of smells and how they work is amazing. If I went for a larger animal, I have to say rhino, purely because when I worked and went out to South Africa, when I trained dogs for Careful Wild Rhino Sanctuary, seeing something that big and understand like i said already it's ecological value is is amazing it's, it's a beautiful animal and um something that you know you see the passion of of the south african people for them is um yes yeah, amazing yeah very good answers i'll accept two don't worry okay next one up then what is the best part of the industry i guess it's a common one but the ability to work with such a variety of animals i think it's not just oh i got to work with this animal, got to work with that it's understanding the animal i love to watch behavior um like i said stewart can stew was in my business partner he can come up with so many facts and and stuff like that where i will probably come out with monitoring and noticing the behavior for instance and i will just sit there for for a good half hour hour or so and just watch the animals and be like okay it's just it's expressing this it's doing that it's doing something different um and i think having that ability to be able to be in that presence of animals to to witness that is quite a unique thing because I, I'm not going on a tangent here. I just remember again going back to Africa when it was really it was a dark night. We we're there and we had literally the rhinos just over on the side, and we just with the rhino monitors and when watching them. I thought it's a Saturday night. I know probably people that I don't necessarily talk to as much to now are probably out 
drinking, partying and so forth, but I'm actually here getting to just witness this. And I think even when you're at the zoo late at night and you're just going past your enclosures and you're seeing those animals that may come out, you know, at that time, it's such a it's such an amazing thing. And I think that's a real privilege that we have when we work within this industry. A very easy thing to take granted. So you know exactly right. Now I'm going to flip that question around then. Is there anything in the industry that you would improve? It's difficult. It's a difficult one, how to improve the industry. And I think it comes down to every, every zoo has its different approach to stuff. And I think you kind of have to tap into that again with your workforce. If you haven't got a happy workforce, then you're never really going to have the best standards you're never going to have a great thing and i guess a big thing is making sure that everyone understands each other's roles and their role and the chain of command one thing like again we're very very small suit but one thing we don't tolerate is that kind of clickiness or that kind of aspect and it, it doesn't need to happen i think you get that in a lot of bigger zoos we can function so much better and i guess it's more of an internal than an external kind of thing within the industry it's just managing the stuff you have your christmas dues you have your so forth and i think team bonding is a real big one getting people to work within a different section why not say okay right you know what next week for a couple of days you're going to work with so and so in this section you're going to work with so and so in this section they may not like it to start off with but then it may actually give them a whole kind of thing like oh wow you know what that was really interesting i actually learned something from it and then it kind of gels a team better in terms of the industry for an external point of view i think again it's public awareness um we get it a lot people be like oh what's two pound 40 so yes it's, it's literally two but it's cheaper than a cup of coffee but people don't understand that that two pound 40 goes towards our electricity goes towards the amphitheater goes towards salary um some people are happy some people don't care and i think public awareness is a big thing explaining or having a sign stating you know you're coming into the zoo it's two pound 40 for the whole day you can come and go as many times as you want but that money contributes hugely to to what we're doing here and i think that's probably external aspect is that public awareness needs to be great it's not just a zoo for you to come and see cute little animals that you get people banging on the glass banging on think oh that animal's not moving why isn't it moving all right let's explain then why the animal you know it's a nocturnal animal for instance you know you so yeah i think public awareness and and engaging is probably that factor totally totally okay so the next one i do apologize is not a quick fire round question and that is what is your top tip for mental health and well-being i, I saw something the other day and I, i've kind of always believed it we all suffer from mental health I, i'm a big believer that we do and we all deal with it in a different way you know I, i've been on tour i've been in afghanistan i've been in the army i, I know what stress is I've, I've obviously had personal things happen in the past Managing two businesses is very stressful as it is itself, but it will pass. Those stresses will pass and then good things will happen. But remember, those good things will pass and the stress will come back. It's just a vicious circle sometimes, but just take it on the chin some and, and just keep moving forward. Be be kind of willing to go forward and, and just overcome it because it will go. Like I said, I'm self-employed, so yeah, I, I will get stressed out. I could have a really bad month. I think no one's getting in touch. What can I do? And it's down to me to market that. It's down to me to figure out why. But then I'll have a great month or a great few months. And it, it's and that's that cycle. You just have to be accepting of that. So I think for people that do get stressed uh, and think, oh, this is just all going wrong. Yeah, it is. It's going to happen. But it's not necessarily the end of the world. It, it will pass. And a, a new is, is a new day tomorrow. And there's a new day after that. There's a new day after that. And I think that's what people need to just take on board is that things will kind of happen and then they'll go again and 
you just have to pull yourself out of a rut. Yeah, mental health is a big thing, and I think people need to talk about it, and that's why we do our welfare check-ins with our staff to make sure that they're okay and if they have any issues. And it's not just issues if they've got issues at the zoo. It's like, how are you doing, you know, at home? How's things outside? Everything all right? And if there's something up, talk to us. If you want to shout, cry, scream, do it. I don't care. I used to do it with students, and, you know, it, it relaxed them a lot because at the end of the day, you're just that neutral body. So with mental health, it's don't shy away from it but accept that it will pass and it will get better. Um, and the only way it will necessarily get better is if you just have that kind of attitude and like, okay, this is what's happening right now, but that's not going to stay that way forever. Some really good words there. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, I'm pretty sure Tom Hanks, you've just referenced there, is some very, very philosophical and wise words coming from you there, Joe. Now, the next question I've got for you then is, I'm going to take you anywhere in this world, and that is globally. What zoo would you like to visit, and why? Um, San Diego, San Diego Zoo. I, I remember when I was teaching um, zoo, and we're looking. I was enclosure designs, and and I think I want to go to San Diego purely to see its whole layout. Yeah, by my understanding, it's it's amazing zoo. Its reviews are absolutely outstanding, and you know they have a travel a thirty five uh, kind of trailer ride as well to show you around if it's too far on foot. It's supposed to be very clean, very cleanliness, very good signage, and I guess that's more of a business sense why I want to see it. Not just they've got amazing animals. They've got a lot of koalas. They've got I think like the second most outside Australia or something. Or one of the yeah, but San Diego is probably one of the zoos i'd love to go visit a very very popular answer as you can imagine okay so the next one i need you to put on your mystic hat in 20 to 30 years do you still see zoos being the same as they are today yes and no now i know there's a big aspect or i've heard of a big aspect of holographic zoos so you know you kind of you have the biomes so you'd have obviously the native plants and so forth growing within within the dome but as you walk in there, it would be a holographic 3D animal walking around. Um, I guess that kind of gives... I guess if you kind of look at certain movies where they display that type of futuristic technology, that or they do it now with drones, don't they? Um, that's a, an aspect to know. I think it's somewhere in Germany that they were looking to try that a few years back. I think that's potentially a way to go, but that may be more for species that are endangered. That could be for species that have unfortunately left us and this is what the environment it would live like, and this is how it actually acts, and you could kind of see it run past you, move past you, so forth. I think the big aspect for zoos going forward in the next 20 years is going to be linked to rewilding, uh, conservation, and obviously breeding. Um, I think that's that's the case, where a lot of big zoos now obviously have either some places out in, in South America or Africa, I, even in the UK, I think that's going to be the main target. We're still going to be a tourist attraction, we're still going to be there for the public, but with the way that the world's going in terms of sustainability, environmental, I think it's about what can we give back? We've not just got these animals here. What can we do to pass those animals on? And rewilding is actually becoming huge now. You know, it's, it seems to be the next thing that's slowly creeping in and doing really good. So I think that's going to be something that Suze will probably get on board with a lot more um, as it grows and picks up momentum. I guess we'll have to just wait and see, won't we? Just wait and see. Okay, so that we're on that second to last question. We're so, so close. I want to delve a little bit more into your personal side, and that is who within the industry is your idol? Growing up, obviously, I know everyone's David Amber, but um, for me, Steve Irwin, he was probably the person that really got me passionate about animals as a kid. And it's the seeing, I know obviously he can be quite controversial to some people, but seeing his passion 
and the way he did stuff and the way he he put it out there and how he I don't know if you ever read his book um, at all. It's it's quite interesting, and it, it was just that passion, and that's what kind of got me thinking. Oh, I want to work with animals. I want to do this, and I guess that's why I've kind of been here, been there, and done the most randomest of things because of that. I guess you kind of fall back on subconsciously. You think, you know what? Well, yeah, just do it. Just go out and do it because you know it's it's a passion that you have. So Steve Irwin was pr probably the big influence in as a young person for why I wanted to work with animals and get into, into the industry. If I was to say an idol now and who have a lot of, I guess more so that I have a lot of respect for, it's a lady called Petronelle, I can't pronounce her last name, but Petronelle is actually the owner of Carethwild Rhino uh, Sanctuary. It's the largest rhino sanctuary in South Africa. And um, knowing her personally, meeting her personally, sitting down talking with her, knowing that she came from working within the police and, and, and special police and stuff like that to then start up a rhino sanctuary which has now become the largest and it has networks in New York and across the world. It's amazing. And it just shows that passion can really be carried wherever you want it to go. If, if you have that kind of determination to do it. So they're probably two people that I'll take a lot of inspiration. from. Some really, really kind words there. So thank you so much for opening up there, Joe. Now, finally, the final, final question is I want you now to summarize this whole industry for us in only three words. So I'm probably going to be quite common. Um, Education, conservation, and the economical value. Um, and I say the, eco, uh, the whole money aspect, because without you know the, the funding of, of grants or um, the public education, conservation with the zoos won't happen. And with you know, and the tourism of zoos, like we've already touched on, is really important. So for me, education is always going to be up there, no matter what. We always need to educate the new generation and even the older generation. Conservation, like we said, it's not just globally, it's, it's domestically and economically. We are in a state of where money is tight, but if we want to be able to provide a sustainable environment um, and wildlife, we need people to support us. And I think they're the two kind of three important things at the moment. Yeah, very, very nicely summed up there, Joe. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, sharing your words of wisdom with everyone and hearing about your amazing journey throughout this industry we all call home. So thank you, Joe, for coming on. And, and hopefully we haven't scared you off to bring you back next time. No, I, um, thank you for having me. It's been um, it's been good to talk. And yeah, I, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Take care of yourself until then. Yeah, no problem. Cheers. Bye. And that concludes this week's episode. What an amazing guest and an amazing time we had. Now, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe on Instagram, Facebook, or our podcast channels to Zookeeping 101. I can't express how thankful I am personally from a fellow zookeeper to have you along for this quite amazing journey, learning about everything zookeeper. Otherwise, please subscribe. Thank you for listening and see you very, very soon. Bye.